Final Four. Final Four. The Big East punches their first of potentially two tickets to Houston. And on the other side, history made but in a bad way. But there's going to be more about history in the better way. This on day 26 of the March Marathon here on the Igloo. So, listen, as great as it would be to start off in a more jubilant way, I might as well get the, you know, good news, bad news. I might as well get the bad news out of the way first. On the women's side, in Seattle, UConn taking out Ohio State with the legendary Sue Bird and in attendance. UConn got off to a fantastic start. A 10-2 run in just over four minutes, prompting an Ohio State timeout. Well, Ohio State, after that, got on the board, well, scored, out of the timeout, Ebony Walker with a layup, and then they put on this press that UConn, for the life of them, they just didn't have an answer to. And Gino said it after the game, he used the term paralyzed to describe their reaction to the press. Because in the first half alone, Ohio State forced 18 turnovers. For context, UConn committed about 16 turnovers per game coming in, which is bad enough. Ohio State turned them over 18 times just in the first half. And UConn picked a really bad time to flatline. They were up 17-9. to And Ohio State then scored the next 17 points between the end of the first and into the second quarters. And UConn was just trying to play catch-up. There were times where, you know, UConn got it down to 44-39 with 3.51 left in the third. And you think, oh, here comes UConn. They're going to come back and win this one like they always do. Nope, Ohio State. It takes a lot of mental toughness to take that kind of punch from UConn and end up holding strong and then winning. Like you got to be an elite kind of team. And I'm using the term elite for a reason. Because for the first time since 2005, UConn will not be in the Elite Eight. And for the first time since 2007, they won't be in the Final Four. As the Buckeyes shocked the Huskies in the Pacific Northwest. 73-61. And they're heading to the Elite Eight for the first time since their farthest run in the tournament. 30 years ago, 1993, where they lost in the National Championship game to Cheryl Swoops. 
and Texas Tech. And leading the way was a freshman, the Big Ten freshman of the year, Cody McMahon. 23 points, she did foul out, 8 of 17 shooting, 2 of 4 from long range. Add in 17 from J.C. Sheldon, 3 of 9 from the floor and 1 of 2 behind the arc. 7 boards, 5 assists. 11 for Taylor Theory. 3 of 7 shooting. 9 points from Taylor Mikesell. And for Mikesell, this was a down game. She was averaging right around 17 and a half a game. Only 9 points on 4 of 10 shooting, 1 of 5 from long range. And I don't think she got on the, in the, in the scoring column until the second half. And then Ebony Walker, 6 points on 3 of 9 shooting in 33 minutes, 9 rebounds, 4 assists. And then all 7 bench points came courtesy of Ricky Harris, who was just a pest defensively. 2 of 6 shooting, 1 of 4 from long range. And then they got 4 minutes off the bench from Rebecca... Um, oh, oh boy, this is going to be a tough one to pronounce. Mikulas Sakova, I believe that's how it's said. Missed a couple threes, I believe in the second quarter, if I'm remembering correctly. As a whole, Ohio State didn't shoot the ball well. 38%, 5 of 17 from long range. They did get to the line a hell of a lot more, taking twice as many free throw attempts as the Huskies, going 22 of 30. UConn, on the other, on the other hand, listen, I know they only took 15 free throws, but you, you can't expect a win only going 7 of 15 and turning it over 25 times for the whole game. They were efficient from the field, 24 of 53, 6 of 23, though, behind the arc. And they were really hot coming out of the gates with Lopez Seneschal and Fudd knocking down a couple threes when they started off on a 10-2 run. Inside the arc, 18 of 30 for 60% from two is good. But again, 25 turnovers. I don't care if you're UConn or even if you're South Carolina. You can't turn it over 25 times and expect a win. Lou Lopez-Seneschal in her final game, 9 of 13 shooting, 4 of 7 from 3 to finish with 25 points. She did get hurt, and when she was out, you could feel her absence and how much it was affecting this team. AZ Fudd, 14 points, 6 of 17 shooting, and 2 of 9 from long range in 38 minutes. It was just really tough for her to find her shot. Inside the arc, four of eight. I mean, four of eight was solid inside the arc, but two of nine from long range. Just a tough shooting day for the sophomore. Dorka Juhas with a double-double, 13 points, 10 rebounds against her former team. Six of 12 shooting, 0 of two from behind the arc, though. So those three players combined to score 52 of their 61. Four points only for Aaliyah Edwards, who got into foul trouble. And could it be on the court for that reason? Two of four from the floor, seven rebounds. Again, limited to just 18 minutes. Nika Mule, three points, five assists. Played all 40 minutes, one of three from the floor. But she turned it over seven times. <coughs> seven times. 
And then they only had one free throw each from Aubrey Griffin and Caroline Ducharme. So obviously that's a tough way to go out. And tough way for UConn to miss their first Sweet 16 since 2005. But kudos to Ohio State, and I want to give a a local shout-out to uh, Kaya Henderson. She's a freshman on the Buckeye. She hails from my hometown of Utica and played high school ball, which is weird for me to say, uh, at New Hartford, which is the rival high school of where I went to high school. But I just want to give her a shout out and congratulations as they go on to the Elite Eight where they will meet the number one seed in their region, Virginia Tech. And in case you're wondering, I mean, you also had Maryland beating Notre Dame and then South Carolina winning a rock fight against UCLA down in Greenville, so... That's what happened on the women's side is UConn. Their season comes to a surprising end this early as they finish 31-6. and Another Big East regular season and tournament title. But history made in a bad way as we will not see UConn in the Final Four for the first time since 2007. I, I, I still can't fathom that. Now on to the good news. Speaking of Final Fours and of UConn, last night in Vegas, it was a night to remember after a pretty forgettable women's game in Seattle. It was a night that I know if UConn fans will never forget. Huskies against Gonzaga, UConn got off to a fantastic start. You just knew after you had the start to the game that they had, even with a missed call, I mean, Andre Jackson going for an alley-oop, he clearly got displaced by Drew Timmy. But with the start that UConn got on, especially after Jordan Hawkins knocked down a three to make it nine to two, you could just tell, all right, this is UConn's time. And even when Gonzaga made things a little interesting, once Alex Caravan knocked down a three right at the end of the first half and credit Andre Jackson, be, making the basketball equivalent of the Derek Jeter flip play. 22 years ago in the ALDS against the Oakland A's. He didn't need to make that play, per se. He still made the play because he kind of had this intuition that the ball was going to get away. It wasn't going to go to Sonogo. It was going to go into the waiting arm, most likely, of Anton Watson with the bounce of the pass. He jumped in, found Caravan on the wing. And what happened? Caravan knocked down the three. 
to make it a seven-point game heading into the locker room. And you could tell right then and there, that game over. Especially when I read from uh, Dave Borges, beat writer for UConn, tweeting out that the body language for Gonzaga coming out of the locker room was really bad. Really bad. And UConn capitalized on that. And not only did they beat Gonzaga... <coughs> Excuse me. They beat the living piss out of them. They not only made it a point to beat them, in a way they they humiliated them. It did also help that Drew Timmy picked up his fourth foul two and a half minutes into the second half. And I don't want to hear the controversy of like, Oh, that wasn't a fourth foul. First of all, I should have picked up the foul on the first play of the whole game. And him picking up his fourth foul really wasn't going to have an effect on the ultimate outcome of this game. Drew Timmy could not have made it even relatively close. As UConn punches their ticket to the Final Four for the first time since 2014 with an absolute annihilation of Gonzaga, 82-54. to I had a feeling UConn was going to look dominant and win by double digits, but I didn't... I couldn't have foreseen them beating Gonzaga. Gonzaga, of all teams, by 28. Considering they beat St. Mary's by 15 earlier in this tournament. Gonzaga beat them by, what, 30? In the West Coast Conference Tournament. Also in Vegas, but in a different venue. But what a win for UConn. As the Big East will now send a team to the Final Four that's not Villanova. For the first time since reconfiguration. Jordan Hawkins, your most outstanding player in the West Regional 20 points, 6 of 15 from the floor, which included a ferocious missed dunk that he ended up turning into a 3, where he was 6 of 10. Alex Caravan, 12 points, 5 of 9 shooting, and 2 of 6 from long range. Adama Sinogo, 10 points, 10 rebounds, 6 assists. Crazy that he was pushing for a triple-double, but credit Sinogo, he's an unselfish guy. As great of a player as he is with scoring the rock, He was incredibly unselfish. When he got doubled, what did he do? He found the open man. And that's the simple basketball play. And that's the kind of play that Sonogo needs to make. And he made those plays time and time again. You had four different players with eight points each. Tristan Newton, Andre Jackson, Naheem Aline, Joey Calcaterra. Newton with 7 rebounds, 2 of 7 shooting. Jackson, 4 of 9 shooting, 0 of 2 from behind the arc. But he was a rebound and 2 points away from a triple-double. 8 points, 9 boards, 10 assists. I don't know how aware he was or how aware the team was of how close he was, but considering how late in the game it was, 
you're not really going to gain anything uh, from leaving him in the game. Best case scenario, he gets another bucket and another rebound. The worst case scenario, who knows? He he might get hurt in those final few minutes. So Aline and Calcaterra each with eight off the bench. Three of five for Aline on and one of two from behind the arc. Calcaterra, three of seven shooting, two of five from long range. Donovan Klingen protected the paint so well. Six points in 12 minutes, three of six shooting, three blocks. But even three blocks is a lot. But the amount of shots he altered, that was a huge difference maker. Like Drew Timmy, just for the life of him, he could not get any shots over the kinetic, the huge Connecticut Sun, S-O-N, not S-U-N as Mr. Hotballs loves to refer to him as. And then, you know who else got a bucket? That's right. Apostolus Romoglu. I know I probably butchered the last name, but I know I got Apostolus right. He got a bucket with about a minute to go. Overall, UConn... Protected the ball, just eight turnovers. They rebounded well, 48-40, to 40, 13 offensive rebounds, and were lights out from long range. 11 of 31, not lights out, but the fact they went 11 of 31 and held Gonzaga to 2 of 20 from long range. That's huge. 11 of 14 from the charity stripe. Gonzaga got to the line more, but were 12 of 22. And as a whole, UConn, 30 of 72 from the floor. So inside the arc, they were 19 of 41. I mean, still under 50%, but still, it's pretty good. Gonzaga, inside the arc, they were 18 of 40. That's 45%. And overall in the game, just 20 of 60, 33.3%. Drew Timmy in what appeared to be his final game in a Gonzaga uniform, Double double, but twelve point. I mean, twelve points, ten rebounds. That's a double double, but he really struggled. Five of fourteen shooting, two of four from the charity stripe. Julian Strauer, the only other player in double figures for the Zags, eleven points, four of fifteen shooting, but zero of six from long range. Again, this this guy was the hero against UCLA two nights prior with a bomb from three that he made. To put Gonzaga ahead for good. He goes 0 for 6 from 3 on Saturday. And that, again, credit UConn's defense for protecting the arc so well. And just playing outstanding defense. 8 off the bench for Malachi Smith in 26 minutes. 2 of 4 from the floor. Knocked down his only 3-point attempt of the game. 3 different players with 6 points each. Anton Watson. Freaking hiccups, man. Anton Watson, Rasir Bolton, Ben Gregg. Watson just 3 of 4 shooting, 6 rebounds. 0 of 4 from the free throw line. Rasir Bolton gave the Zags their other 3-point make. 2 of 7 from the floor, 1 of 3 from long range. And then Gregg, 7 rebounds in 20 minutes, 2 of 5 shooting. Off the bench, they got five from Hunter Salas. Two of five from the floor 
in 17 minutes. And then of note, Nolan Hickman held scoreless in 25 minutes. He did have a team high five assists. Something I love what UConn did, 21 assists on 30 made shots. 30, 13 assists on 20 made field goals for Gonzaga. Just the way that UConn shared the ball. But it's just downright impressive. And this whole game, they put on a clinic. Just dominant from wire to wire. Gonzaga actually did lead by just one. Trying to find when that lead came. I'm going to find it. Gonzaga led 22-21 after a Malachi Smith three with six and a half to go. And UConn routed them the rest of the way. So congrats to UConn. On to the Final Four, punching their ticket to Houston. We all know, by the way, that this was going to be the first Elite Eight without a one seed in tournament history. Which meant this is automatically the first Final Four that will be without a one seed since 2011. Which, ironically enough, was in Houston. And ironically enough, even more, UConn won the title with Cardiac Kemba. Coincidence? I think not. So the Huskies out of the Final Four. By the way, obviously we all saw this by now, but um, FAU, they will join UConn in the Final Four as they knocked off Kansas State in their Elite Eight matchup at the Garden. Lot to be excited about, but especially, I mean, FAU Cinderella run has been great, but from a Big East perspective, one down, one to go. Congrats to UConn, punching their first Final Four ticket since 2014 with that trouncing of Gonzaga. And for some historical context, let's just take a look at Villanova's two titles in terms of how dominant they were in the tournament. In 2016, their combined margin of victory was plus 124. In 2018, when they won it all once more, their combined margin was, let's see, They were plus 106. And they did win every single game in that tournament run by double digits. Their closest game was 12 in both the Sweet 16 and Elite 8 in Boston. The only the other team that did it at least in recent years was North Carolina, that dominant 2009 team. They, again, won all six of their game games by double digits. Closest game, ironically enough, was 12th in the Elite Eight against Blake Griffin in Oklahoma. And ironically enough, their margin 
heading into the Final Four was also plus 90. Combined, plus 121. And I'm not sure if there were any other teams that won every single tournament game by double digits or even if there was a bigger combined margin of victory for a tournament than Villanova's plus 124 in 2016. But again, those 16-18 and titles for Nova, the only titles for the new Big East, and now UConn could be the next team to do that. Creighton's going to have something to say about that, though. As will FAU, and as will potentially, you know, San Diego State could still be Creighton, too. And so can the winner of Miami and Texas, who will face UConn on Saturday in Houston. Before I go on and preview the Elite Eight matchup between Creighton and San Diego State, I just want to make some quick picks. It sucks that the Big East doesn't have any teams left standing now. I mean, no one could have foreseen UConn getting bounced in the Sweet 16 with AZ back, and especially with how dominant they had been since she returned. Winning by a combined, what, 132 points? in the last five games or something like that. It was absurd. Anyways, uh, tonight, after the men's games, give the women some love. Again, I know there's no Big East teams, and it, bit of, it was a really disappointing end with not seeing Villanova and UConn getting to the Elite Eight in games that were absolutely 100% winnable as the conference finished 5-5 five and five in the women's tournament. Uh, just to make some quick picks. <clears throat> here's what I'm go- here's what I'm gonna go with. I'm going LSU over Miami, and I'm taking I'm sticking with Iowa. I might as well stick with them. I mean, they were my original Final Four pick um, coming out of the Seattle Four. I still can't get used. This is so stupid, really. But overall, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked, though, if Louisville pulled the upset. Because they are playing their best ball at the right time. Haley Van Lift is clearly her. Man, she's playing in her home state of Washington, as I was made aware of that after they beat Ole Miss. And I wouldn't be shocked if Miami ends up pulling an upset. But I- I'm sticking with Kim Mulkey and LSU. You know, clock's going to strike midnight. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, if Miami wins, I think they're going to be the highest, the lowest seed to ever make a Final Four on the women's side. If you're uh, if you're curious enough and maybe even as much of a sicko to bet on this, 
LSU is minus nine and a half. Iowa minus four and a half. So against Miami LSU at seven in Greenville, Louisville, Iowa at nine on ESPN. Uh, Miami LSU being in Greenville, Louisville, Iowa in Seattle. Now to the men's side. Creighton, San Diego State, 220, CBS. The Jays are two and a half point favorites. If you're curious, the over-under, if you want to bet this, is 134 and a half. Which, it seems kind of low, but San Diego State loves to play tough defense. They like low-scoring games. They play great defense, too. And Creighton can play great defense as well. Everyone knows them as a great offensive team. But they can still defend at a high level. I mean, they have the two-time Big East Defensive Player of the Year. So I don't know what more you want me to say. Um, In terms of the point total, I think it's going to end up going over. Big key to the game, if you can get the contributions that you got from your bench last time out, which including, you know, Francisco Farabello knocking down a three and Frederick King getting a dunk for, if I'm not mistaken, his first points of the tournament. And I was right. He's played a combined 12 minutes. Farabello has played the most minutes of anyone as he has played over 20 minutes in each of the last two games. If you can get 20-plus quality minutes out of Farabello and get another bucket out of King or even Sharif Mitchell, Mitchell's experience on the court can be a be a difference maker. It really can be. But you're going to need your starting five to play like that great starting five that they've been all year. Arguably one of the best starting fives in the entire country. And with San Diego State, you know, they're 30 and 6 for a reason. And they still beat Alabama by 7 despite their star player Matt Bradley struggling and in foul trouble, limited to just 19 minutes scoring just 6 points. This is a team, you know, they score 72 points a game. They're really well balanced. And they're deep. Ironically enough, as we all know, Creighton beat San Diego State in the first round in overtime last year in Fort Worth. Now, the stakes are even higher. A spot in the final four up for grabs. Which we all know. Creighton has to stay true to themselves. And by the way, tickets are as low as five bucks for this game. That's bullshit. This is an Elite Eight game, and to me, that's a disrespect, not just to Creighton, but to San Diego State as well. Five bucks? Five bucks? I mean, it's a steal. If if you're down in Louisville, cop those tickets. You're going to see a hell of a game. That's a steal. That's hella disrespectful, too. 
And Creighton, listen, they're going to have to find an answer to go up against that stifling defense of the Aztecs. And by the way, they were also in the Maui Invitational. However, they lost to Arizona. If San Diego State had won that game, they would have been in the Maui Invitational title game against Creighton. Or vice versa, if Creighton had lost to Arkansas instead, they would have faced San Diego State in the third place game, depending on how you look at it. And of course, there's obviously the narrative. Oh, it's Arthur Kaluma against Adam Stico. They're brothers. Like, yeah, we know. We get it. It's a narrative that been that has been drilled into our heads. It's whatever. I get it. I was really on the fence because San Diego State, I will give them their just due. They are a very good basketball team. And they're well-balanced. But who has the better personnel overall and who do I think is the better coach between Greg McDermott and Brian Dutcher? And I'm not here to knock Brian Dutcher either because he was Steve Fisher's top assistant when the Fab Five were around at Michigan. So he knows how to coach very good, sometimes even generational talent. And Dutcher was Fisher's main man, meaning top assistant when Fisher was the head coach of the Aztecs. You know, coaching guys like Kawhi Leonard. But in the end, you really think at this point I'm going to pick against the Big East? Hell no. Roll damn Jays all the way to the Final Four, joining UConn in Space City. Final score, I'm thinking 75-73. And then just a quickie, uh, so... Creighton, San Diego State, 220 on CBS in Louisville. And then at 5 o'clock, roughly, in Kansas City, Miami and Texas. Miami thrashed Houston to prevent Houston from going home for the Final Four. Texas has looked very dominant. I mean, they struggled with Penn State, but they were really good against Colgate. And, eat, and they played their best game of the tournament against Xavier. And I know I picked Texas right at the beginning of the tournament, but here's the thing. Any team that can make an example of Xavier like that earns my respect, and then some. Like, you got to be pretty damn good if you beat any high-quality Big East team like they did on Friday night. And they throttled Kansas by 20. I know without Kevin McCuller, but they still beat Kansas by 20 in the Big 12 final in Kansas City in the same building. I just think the narrative's all there. Listen, I know Dylan DeSue is probably going to be out for Texas today as he got hurt very early in the Xavier game. Which opens the door more for Miami to potentially pull the upset. And Miami's looked very good, again, 
And to think they were on the brink of getting upset by Drake in the first round before they ended the game on a 16-1 to run. And they've been rolling ever since with a 16-point win over Indiana and a 14-point win over Houston. What do I think the final score is going to be? I'm I'm sticking with the horns. By the way, Texas minus three and a half, over under 149. Both teams are going to fill fill the cup up, which is as I think about it now, I'm becoming a little self aware. I'm shocked that I I've rarely referred to the basket as the cup during my four seasons. I'm going to change that because I need to expand my vocabulary with basketball terminology and all that good stuff. But I'm taking Texas, and I got them winning by one. And it's got to be a lot of points on the board. I think 80-79, even without Dylan DeSue. I picked Texas to win it all. Before the tournament began for a reason, even without Dylan DeSue, the Horns are still going to be up on my end. Meaning Texas heading back to the Lone Star State for their first Final Four in exactly 20 years as they weather the storm that Jim Laranega and his Miami Hurricanes will present And it'll be a great story. Again, Rodney Terry, interim coach, taking Texas to the Final Four. I'm just shocked that the interim tag hasn't been removed by this point, you know? So that is going to do it for this edition of the Igloo. What to expect tomorrow? Well, I'll have my full recap of Creighton-San Diego State. And I want to drum up some good stuff to end the March Marathon. Um, I've been in talks with former Creighton Blue Jay, Toby Hegner, who just recently became a father. Uh, congratulations to, uh, to Toby and his wife uh, on, their, on bringing their new little bundle of joy into this world. So, you know, I'm going to let him take care of his new newborn and all that uh, before I'll bring him on the Igloo for a great interview, which I, I feel like it will be. The Creighton guys have always given me great interviews. But if Creighton makes the Final Four, I'm going to have Jahens Managa on line one. I have to. And then, obviously, to talk about UConn men in the Final Four, I'm going to have to pull some strings. Don't know who. I have a plethora of options. If I really wanted to go down the rabbit hole, I would have the the Big East Tag Team Champions of the World, Hurley Mania and Mr. Hotballs, joining me to talk UConn in the Final Four. In a perfect world, that's what I would do. But, I mean, that's an option. I'll have to mull it all over, but I it's good. It's good. It's a good thing that I have a lot of options to go with to talk about UConn making the Final Four and then potentially Creighton joining UConn in the Final Four and sending two Big East teams to Houston. Banner year for the conference. Ten years after the conference was presumed to be dead. Love to see it. That's going to do it for this episode of the Igloo Now. Roll damn Jays. Go Biggies. Thanks for tuning in. Catch y'all tomorrow here on the Igloo.